Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 23 of Bible and Breakfast. Uh, really excited to be joined with Todd Gongward today. Uh, Todd is an author and speaker. Uh, he wrote the book Lead for God's Sake, which many of you may have read. Um, but Todd has been a great friend and mentor to me when I was coaching um, in Indiana at Bethel. I uh, would go and meet with Todd every now and then, and he's just been a great, great mentor and a great encouragement in my life. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear from him. And Todd, thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, Andrew, thanks. Thanks for having me on, man. Really, really appreciate the opportunity. Definitely. Well, it's good to see you, too. It's good to see your face. You as well. well. And obviously being, you know, Bible and Breakfast, like to kind of talk and lead off the show with, you know, hearing a little bit about what God's been teaching you, maybe just something he's been challenging you with or something you've read recently that um, has kind of stuck with you or something that's been on your mind or your heart. Um, You know, I think probably the main, one of the main themes in the last, even last four or five months, especially. And, and I think it has, I know it has a lot to do with what's going on in our world right now. I mean, obviously I tell people, you know, COVID really turned my world upside down because of traveling and going to events and speaking at events. There's not a lot of, you know, live gatherings these days. Um, But, you know, a lot of the um, uh, stuff with, you know, just racial injustice and and, um, the different um, need for some change there. Um, As that has come about, you know, the one thing that, you know, you see, the one thing that we can probably all agree on is there's more divisiveness now, you know, and it seems like at least now than ever before in our lifetimes. And I would say, you know, we may be, we may be coming close to where we were about 1860 um, in terms of a country and, and how just deeply divided we are in, in a lot of areas. And that more than anything else is, you know, caused me as I, as I go to the word and spend my time quiet and prayer just to seek wisdom from um, the word in terms of how do, how do we walk through this and, and what, what if Jesus were here today, alive, you know, alive in the flesh, I should say today, how would, would he be calling us to walk through this? And, you know, there's a lot of different opinions, a lot of different things, but, but more than anything, as I've just really spent a ton of time quiet and, and again, in the word, I keep going back to, we, we, we really need to be about, you know, genuine love and ultimately about the gospel and, you know, anything else that pulls us away from those things, that foundational aspect of our lives as believers, if we truly are followers of Christ, then that truly is the priority, loving others and ultimately being a light to, to hopefully draw them to the kingdom, draw them to you know the gospel. That's what Jesus did. That's what his focus was. And, you know, so that's been my, you know, I've got a heart set model that I feel like, you know, I've been teaching a lot on, which is humility, empathy, um, authenticity, responsibility, and thankfulness. And, and, um, that's kind of where it starts. And that's a, that's a model I've been teaching, but I think it's also a model that can help us through conversations today in the times that we're in, um, in terms of really going deeper and connecting hearts and connecting with one another and understanding one another. Um, and then ultimately walking beside, um, you know, each other in, in a, in a posture of unity above all else. So, yeah, no, that's great. And can you, can you talk a little bit about that model you use and, and kind of relate that to 
your job as a dad and being a, being a husband, a father. Cause I know obviously in that role, um, you know, there's a lot of ups, there's a lot of downs, there's a lot of joy, there's a lot of heartache, but how do you kind of navigate fatherhood kind of using that model with, with your family? Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm certain I don't use it as well as I should. Um, but you know, for me, um, you know, the, the humble posture is when, when people ask me, you know, Todd, the greatest, the greatest leaders you've been around and programs you've been around, what's the one thing, the one, you know, and I keep going back to this humility, humility is we don't have all the answers. And I think as a parent, uh, as a husband, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm 50 now, I've got a 20 year old and I also have a, Seven, you know, twenty-year-old boy, seventeen-year-old girl, and um, then our youngest, who's ten, is a fourth grader. So, I've kind of got one in each phase of life right now, and have been through all those phases in life now too. And and um, the thing that you learn is is you you know every kid is different, and every situation is different in terms of raising them up. Um, and so, I think it's important to understand that you know at first part of that, that humility part is really, really important to understand that I don't have all the answers. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I get a kick out of sometimes some of the folks that will talk about certain things on how to, how to do this with it, you know, raise a kid like this or raise a kid like this, or raise a kid like this. And, and it's like, man, and it's not that there's not great stuff out there because there is, there's a lot of great stuff out there and we should share the wisdom when we, when we get wisdom. But, um, you know, the the older I get, the more I learn. I realize the more I realize, I should say that I really don't know. And yeah. um, so I think that's a, a starting point for all kinds of things, including being a, a good parent, a good husband. Um, I got a long ways to go to grow in that stuff. So, sure. um, well, th- thanks for sharing that. I know you were also a college basketball coach for several years. Um, you know, coach Mike Lightfoot and. I'm curious to hear about some of the lessons that you maybe learned as a college basketball coach that have kind of transitioned and carried over with you into what you're doing now. Oh man. I mean, you know, he, he, I, my mind never forget the first day when I walked into his office and um, you know, it was back in 91, I think it was. And he gave me the opportunity to, you know, be a part of that program early on. And, and I thought maybe it'd be a few years and ended up being with them for like 12 years. And, and, um, his example, um, you know, he's an intense coach and, uh, competitive as anybody I've ever met. Um, but also, you know, the heart, uh, that, um, he constantly displayed and, and early on, especially, I mean, like the model that he was to me at that stage of my life, was just so critical. I mean, I went from being around my buddies, um, who some were okay, you know, good guys, but all of a sudden to being around a guy that's like 13 years older than me and another one of the assistants that was probably, I think, 11 or 12 years older than me. And then another assistant was probably eight years older than me and all further along in their faith too. And so, you know, I really, as I look back on that, that was a huge, that was a key, key part of my life when I was 21 years old and, um, being around, you know, those guys basically becoming my best friends. And, um, you know, there was, there was, um, it was on both ends. I had, you know, these friends that were further along and that were, they were at places that I knew I wanted to be as husband, father, coach, mentor, 
but um, also the accountability, you know, not only wanted to live up to the, the standards that they had created that coach Lightfoot had created specifically on, on loving these kids genuinely staying true to the purpose, um, you know, pursuing your best, you know, I mean, like definitely high, high level of commitment and work ethic. Those things are all clear, but also that accountability, what that created even, you know, and for me as a 21 year old, you know, being kind of the, one of the guys that could relate more to the players because I was closer to their ages. Um, you know, I could also, I, I also I felt like I had a standard that I had to live by too, for sure. And to live up to the standards they had set to walk, you know, closer to where they were than of course, where the players were, you know, and, and even though my maturity level, uh, truth be known was still more at, at that level, you know, naturally at that, you know, when you're 21, you're 21, I mean, you know, it is what it is. So, but it really, I mean, you know, there's so many great things that I took away from that experience. And like I said, it was, it was 12 years. So, you know, I went from being a kid that, you know, was, was, uh, had a long, long way to go to hopefully really growing in just so, so many ways, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Um, that was huge for me during that season of life. Yeah. As you transitioned, you know, from coaching and you kind of moved into, you know, where you are now speaking, writing books, was there something that kind of was triggered in your heart that said, Hey, this is what I want to do. But what kind of gave you that passion and that desire to, you know, write and impact others through uh, that avenue? Well, I had, I had stepped away from the being an assistant coach, um, in 2004, 2003, after the two, 03, 04 season, um, I, um, just felt my, my, my son was getting a little older and my daughter was born. And I just felt that, that at that point, at that season of my life, it was just time to move into something else. And I was, I was actually, um, CEO came to me and uh, I had been in the business world my whole life because I grew up family business. And even while I was at Bethel, I was still working full time as, you know, kind of an entrepreneur trying to build up a franchise system for our company. And, you know, I had, had the team of people, a significant team of people under me. Um, you know, so I was hiring, firing and doing all the typical, you know, employee business stuff. But when I stepped away from the official basketball role that I, I, um, went into the business world and, um, full time or, or even, to a larger extent went into a um, um, private equity owned company about a $250 million company at the time. And they, um, the CEO had, had brought me in to kind of help lead a cultural transformation. And so all the things that I'd been writing and kind of putting into practice with all, both with the team, you know, kind of testing with the team and then also with my team in business, I was able to put into practice at a much higher level you know, with, you know, as opposed to dozen, you know, dozen people or dozens of people, hundreds of people. Um, and so I was able to do that. And then we were actually bought by our largest competitor. So I was able to take it then to another level, which is a public company and serve as a senior executive for that company. So that really, that time really allowed me to solidify a lot of the principles, a lot of the things that I felt God had laid on my heart in terms of what, what does it really mean to, transform a culture and to 
and to do so in in a, in the right way in terms of from a leadership perspective. And um, so when I wrote, I, I had felt three years prior to writing, I'd kind of felt called to write this book. I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I just, yeah, I felt I was called to write it. And I felt like God kind of laid the title on my heart. And um, even then, I still at that point didn't know what it was really going to be about other than I thought it was going to be about my, this cultural transformation process, find, define, align, refine is what I've always, you know, kind of followed over the last 25 years. And um, as it turned out, because I struggled writing it as a normal leadership book, felt God calling me to start with a short story. Um, and I, I back up, I had stepped away. The season was right for me to write it, but I had stepped away from the public company. So I knew that I was supposed to write at that point. And I knew that I could do it without sacrificing more time with my family because we're at a really critical age. I mean, you know, my son was nine. My daughter was six, six and a half. Um, we hadn't um, adopted my, my third son yet, but, you know, it was just a critical time. And I, my philosophy is, if you read the book, you know, the, the why is if you pursue all these things in life and you do it at the expense of the most important things, you really, you, you might be great in the world's eyes, but you'll leave a path of destruction and you weren't really your best in God's eyes, in my my opinion. So, so that that kind of you know led me to that season to write. And I didn't really have a passion. It wasn't like this. Oh gosh, I want to go out and speak to groups and work with. Te- I I had no idea that it would lead to what it was. I knew I was supposed to take a step of obedience to write it. And I knew as I got about two thirds of the way through it that it was obviously way beyond me and it was not something that I was orchestrating at all. It was something that, you know, had a much bigger, God had a much bigger plan for it. And so I just determined, okay, I'm just going to be obedient and follow this thing where God wants to take it. And so I'm not a great marketer by any stretch of the imagination, still not been doing it for 10 years and I still don't. I go where I'm, where people call me and say, Hey, we read your book. We love this message. What can you do with our team? How can you help us? And that just, it just happened that a while back, you know, a lot of high profile coaches got in their hands and started calling and which led me to a lot of great opportunities with, with some pretty cool programs and hopefully been encouragement to some, some, in in some cool places. No doubt. And obviously, you know, for anyone who's read, read the book, you know, there is such a transformational mindset and, or a heart set, as you like to call it. Um, and that's why so many coaches have, have really uh, latched onto it. And it's been so encouraging. And so many of those lessons you teach or write about in that book, you also, you know, you post a lot of those on your uh, social media pages. And I kind of want to ask you just, you know, what role do you feel like social media plays? Because I know you use that platform in such a powerful way and in an impactful way. But can you just speak on, you know, maybe why, why you use social media the way you do and, and what it can do for others. Who that's a, that's a long one. That's a, that's a long answer. We could do another show, a full show on that because I, I really, um, you know, in the last two or three years, it's become, and I tell teams all the time and, and both in business and sports, it's become probably 30% of what I address because it has so changed. It is so significantly impacting culture and not just, for me, Andrew, not just, not only social media, but just, I call it digital media in general. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the access that we have to digital media, you know, we got earbuds in our ear all day long. We got 
videos being played for us. We got movies that we have access to, you know, in our, in our pockets. Um, we have video games that are absolutely impacting our brains. And because of the time that's being spent, especially in the young pre-adolescent or, or, or adolescent brain, um, you know, so all of these things are having a significant impact. Social media in particular is such a dangerous thing right now. And there's no doubt that there's an agenda behind every form of digital media. It's to monetize. And we need to get that message out that young people understand this is not by accident that they have created things that are addictive. The social validation feedback loop, your, your the likes, the retweets, the, the responses that you get, that is not by accident. They designed it that way because they want to suck you in. Um, same thing with the intermittent variable feedback rewards. Those are, those are all, you know, the, the, the brain response chemically to, um, you know, to these addictive behavior, behavioral addictions, the brain responds the same to behavioral addictions as they do to chemical addiction addictions. So we, we known for, you know, gambling addiction is real. You know what I mean? It's behavioral. It's not chemical. It's behavioral, but there's a chemical reaction. The brain that reacts the same way that an addiction to cocaine or things like that reacts. So the addiction is real. And this is the same thing that's happening with social media and things like that. So I feel, you know, I'm not a fan of social media at all, but I know because the world, the world we live in is there. And so many are drawn to it, especially in athletics. And, you know, Twitter, Twitter is so dangerous. There's so many fake accounts on Twitter. There are so many um, follow, I mean, like there's so many messages that are just not what they seem to the, to the public eye. You see all these retweets and all these things for certain messages that are coming across there. And it's an agenda. All you got to do is, is study the top 10 people in any company. Let's like Chick-fil-A go and, and research Chick-fil-A and find out Who's running Chick-fil-A and what do they stand for? And you're going to see those messages permeated throughout Chick-fil-A. That's their agenda. It's real. Mm -hmm. Okay. You just have to decide whether you want to subject yourself to that, to that agenda. So I I tend to say Chick-fil-A is an awesome agenda. First of all, great food, great service, and an awesome purpose. So that, you know, for me personally, I, I love it. That's not the same agenda that Twitter, Facebook, Google, Apple, and all the rest of them have. Sure. Study the top leaders in those companies, what they stand for, and you'll see then the pattern that follows and how it's spun to follow what they believe. And that's just naturally that, that happens with any company. So I think we have to be very careful with that. For me, you know, my small, small part in social media is to be very, very I don't share anything that is not from the heart and I don't share anything that I don't fully believe is founded in truth. And, um, so very, very rarely do you see me, you know, I mean, I'll, there's some funny things that happen in my life once in a while that I'll feel like there's a lesson to or something, but for the most part, you know, I just, I feel like we just so need truth. We so need depth and there's just so much that's just shallow these days that, I guess that's my, my feel is we need more positive truth being shared there. So I hope that's an encouragement to yeah am- amongst all the, the rest of the noise. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I know, you know, I love seeing your tweets cause they are, they are refreshing. They are encouraging and it's something that we need more of. So I appreciate you doing those. 
Uh, last question for you, Todd, is, you know, I know obviously that you've had a lot of downtime, not traveling, not kind of doing as much as you normally would on a speaking basis. But um, has that given you time to work on any new projects? Has it kind of, you know, made your creative juices flow? What, what are you working on now and, and what do we kind of get to see from you in the future? Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, that's probably one of my regrets for the last six or seven months. I've been, I feel like I've been busier in the last seven months than I maybe ever before in terms of my actual time spent in my office and and working on stuff. Um, and, and part of that is just the very nature of what I, what I do. If I don't, you know, if I don't go out and work, I don't eat. (laughs) So, so I do need to, to do something to follow the opportunities that are, that are out there for me. But, um, I have, um, I'm, I'm, I've got a documentary that, uh, I want to actually do a series of documentaries eventually, but what we're working on is trying to, um, highlight the heart, the power of heart change in a leader. And we're going to start with the coaches and how powerful it is when a coach has a heart change, how powerfully that impacts the culture. And particularly when that heart is focused on genuinely loving the kids. And although every coach in America says, oh, it's about the kids, I've worked with way, way too many coaches to, to, to think that it's true with every coach. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there, there's just and, – and most of most of them would deny that. You know, wow, that's right. It is about the kids. I just treat them different because it's best for them. Well, you know, um, the stories I could tell and, and we, we all know, we all see. I mean, that's it's like Coach Rocker in the book. There's blind spots. And you blame, 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 blame until someday somebody comes to you and says, well, you open your eyes and look in the mirror. And um, so you want to highlight some stuff in a documentary, um, you know, that, that'll hopefully – be out there and available soon and and um and like i said hopefully a series eventually so we'll see how that goes but um i want to write a, a sequel and a prequel um, i hope that comes sooner or later i haven't really had a lot of time or taken a lot of time to work on that yet um but i know that that's that's soon i, I hope um and, and you know character amp i've got a, a, a character a text-based platform that we've created for mainly for high, we, we use it a lot in colleges, but a lot of high school teams that don't have budgets to, to bring, uh, you know, somebody in. Uh, and this is more of an ongoing thing where they're, they're, you know, constant top of the mind awareness of these character attributes is key. This is what's eroding cultures because the top of the mind awareness is so much junk in our phones. So, you know, I really want to try to get positive stuff out there, get stuff that's encouraging and helping coaches, helping coaches expand their messages beyond the practice, like constantly feeding the kids with reinforcement for what is it, what does it really mean to trust and thankfulness and, and respect and empathy and all those things that we just, we need more of. So yeah. well, things too. I'm excited to see, you know, see the documentary stuff come out and I know you're going to do a great job when you, when you get around to uh, writing those books and um, really appreciate you taking time to talk with me today, Todd. I appreciate your, your leadership in my life and your encouragement. So thank you so much. Andrew, thank you for having me on, man. Sorry we ran a little bit over, but 
This, oh, this, you hit me on a lot of near the things that are near and dear to the heart. So appreciate right. your you doing this, man, and and appreciate your heart, Andrew. Thanks, man.